All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would open up our hearts right now for all that you would have for us. Lord, even if there's just one thing, one thing, where we go to bed tonight saying, you know what, God wants me to be thinking about this, or, or this is an area that God is talking to me and speaking to me in, God. I pray that we would be open for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we talked about significance and purpose. And from the reactions of some and, and even my own when I've heard those sermons, because let's face it, every January it's almost like the cycle, right? You, you hear purpose sermons. You are, you are significant and you've got this call and you've got this and that. It, it can almost become so routine that we start saying things like, yeah, 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 I've heard all that before, been there, done that. It's what pastors are supposed to do, make us feel good, like we can change the world and we can just make this big impact and all right, Tom, we'll be courteous, we'll listen to it because that's what you're supposed to do. But I hope this morning is not like that. In fact, this morning I want to dare you to be different. Dare you to really listen in and drink deep of what God has for us this morning. Because while some of us may be thinking, well, Tom, this sounds good, but has no basis in reality. The scripture that we said in worship says it all. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We will often not see a lot of the impact that our lives have on other people. And the people of the other people and the people of those people. We are often blinded to see the real lasting impact that God makes in our lives. But 2 Corinthians 5-7 reminds us that we live and walk by faith and not by sight. Let me give you an example. Let me, let me start with a story. I want to tell you a story. So listen up. Edward Kimball was a carpet salesman in Boston, Massachusetts in the early 1870s. So this is just after the American Civil War. And he worked hard for six days a week just to put food on the table and to pay his lowly rent. At church on Sunday, he volunteered to teach the teenage boys a Bible class at the Mount Vernon Church in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, most of the boys... Uh, seemed particularly disinterested in the Bible study. Ed had commented in his diary how many of them would fall asleep in the class as they just seemed utterly oblivious and not wanting to hear the information they were hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ed began to write very honestly that he believed he was wasting his time and that perhaps his life would be better spent in other purposes. Well, one day, while trying to buy a new pair of shoes, Ed ran into one of his Sunday school students. He was working there as one of the shoe salesmen, and Ed uh, decided that he would go to him and try to get a new pair of shoes. And so Ed knew that he was no evangelist, but he decided to bring the matter up and talk a little bit about the Sunday school. Now, the teenager there began to sort of mock God and say, you know what, I don't think there's some all power for God or some all-reaching purpose for me. Life is as it always has been. It just goes on and we're just kind of playing our small little role and it has no meaning and no purpose. If Ed knew anything he knew in his heart, you can let a lot of things go. But he couldn't let that one go. 
that one he would have to give an answer because he had an answer. And he said, very simply, can I tell you the gospel truth? Ed asked the boy that if he wanted to live in a world where the birds just sing this, seemed to sing a little sweeter, where the sun just seemed to shine a little brighter, and that there was a peace available to his heart that would be unlike any peace he had ever experienced before in his life. And intrigued, the boy looked at him and he said, yes, yes, I would like that, especially the part about the peace. I would like to have a peace flood my heart, a peace like I've never known. And Ed Kimball that day took the boy's hand and they prayed and that boy became a follower of Jesus that day. Now his name, you might recognize it, his name was Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody would go on to become one of the most famous 19th century evangelists that the United States of America would know. Up there with the greats like Charles Finney and some others. But at the turn of the century, as Dwight Moody was getting older, he began to mentor a young man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman at the turn of the century. In 1904, J. Wilbur Chapman became a Presbyterian minister and he ministered earnestly for 20 years. Until 20 years, in 1924, he met an ex-baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday uh, had become a Christian under Wilbur's ministry and Wilbur had decided that this new thing called the radio could be used to further the gospel in California and in America. And so uh, he worked with Billy Sunday to become a radio minister. And uh, Billy Sunday was not only a radio minister, but he was also a radio evangelist. And from 1924 to, 19, to his death in 1935, Billy Sunday was one of the most popular radio evangelists in America. Shortly before his death in 1934, Billy Sunday met another man and his name was not Billy Graham. <laughs> it was who? Mordecai Ham. Now Mordecai Ham picked up a lot where Billy Sunday had just left off. He also became a popular radio minister and especially during the dark days of World War II, Mordecai Ham was broadcasting on the radio, encouraging the troops, encouraging the families of the troops, and constantly praying for a successful end to the war and a quick end to the war. And even in the post-war time, Mordecai Ham continued to, uh, to minister over the radio until in the late 40s and early 50s, he met another young man by the name of Billy Graham. Billy Graham. And of course, we know beginning in the early to mid-1950s, Billy Graham started a ministry that reached millions. Uh, Billy Graham met with presidents. He met with heads of state. Uh, he was asked to speak all over the world. And they, they've lost count as to how many millions, maybe even a billion people, that Billy Graham's ministry and message must have reached. Now, you may be thinking here today, ah, Tom is telling us a story about Billy Graham. Sure, who wouldn't want to tell a story about Billy Graham? He's famous, and he did all these good things, and man, he's just a, you know, of course, let's talk about Billy Graham. But actually, I did not tell that story to talk about Billy Graham. 
I did not tell that story to talk about Mordecai Ham. I did not tell that story to talk about Billy Sunday or J. Wilbur Chaplin or even Dwight Moody. Because you see, before his death, Edward Kimball's diary betrayed one horrible thought. He died believing his life was for nothing. He never got to see what Moody did. He never got to see or hear Billy Sunday. He never got, he ne- of course, he never would have known Billy Graham. He was 100 years later. But he died believing that he didn't really make a difference. He didn't really make an impact. He didn't really do much and didn't have much of a purpose. But think about it. Take that one man out who all he did was go to buy a pair of shoes one day. It's amazing how God can use the ordinary things in life to do something extraordinary, and we don't even know it. We don't. We just think, I'm just going to get gas. I'm just going for my doctor visit. I'm just going for this or that. I'm just going to have that. And all of a sudden, a random conversation, and we walk away thinking, oh, that conversation probably went nowhere. And a hundred years later, millions of people are being affected in one of the most amazing ways. The hero of this story is Ember Kimball, who struggled his whole life to feel like he was a somebody, who struggled his whole life to feel he was significant. He was poor. He worked six days a week in post-war America. And yet, he was the seed of one of the greatest 20th century revivals that our land has ever seen. And God used a seemingly insignificant man, but he was a significant man, and he used him in one of the most significant ways. And I hope you never forget him, for we are all Edward Kimball's. How did he do this? Well, a little review from last week. Remember, We walk by faith and not by sight. Edward Kimball never saw much of what what the effect of his life became. But he did know and believe this. And the first one is this. God loves us. God loves us. You may not feel lovable. You may not even feel likable. You may feel very imperfect. But the fact of the matter is you are loved by a heavenly father. And because he loves you, that is part of our purpose and significance. We are loved by God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to do backflips for it. Just because who you are and made in his image, you are loved by God. The second thing is God accepts us. God's acceptance says you are significant. Just as when I accept you or you accept me, you're saying you are significant. You are worth my time. You are worth my life. You are worth my conversation. God says I accept you. You are significant. And the beauty of this acceptance is that there is nothing you can do to earn it. You already have it. There's nothing you have to do to earn his love. There's nothing you have to do to earn his acceptance. The third thing is his forgiveness. We often run past and not realize how important to our life purpose, how important to our significance as a person, how important to our call the cross of Jesus Christ is. 
because on that cross, everything you've ever done, everything you'll ever do, and everything you ever will do is forgiven in Jesus' name. The penalty has been paid for by the cross of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You do not have to earn it. You don't have to make restitution for your sins. You don't have to pay God back. It's done. It's been paid in full. And the fourth thing, he partners with us. God gives us a ministry and a calling that we are uniquely gifted to do. Uh, God doesn't just throw things together and say, let me, he meticulously creates us, giving us giftings and passions and interests and personalities that are 100% unique to us. And then finally, he informs us God reveals to us the knowledge we need to know in order to be a part of his kingdom activities. He loves you. He accepts you. He forgives you. He partners with you. And he reveals to you. And there is nothing you have to do to earn that. You have it. I mean, yeah, you do have to turn to him and receive it. But you have it. Now, there is also an anti-purpose. What happens to our purpose when you take God out of the equation? Because you see, God has a purpose for us, but the world also has a purpose. And that purpose is what I often call the anti-purpose. And the anti-purpose is really sort of the polar opposite of all of the other purpose statements I just made about God. The anti-purpose is kind of the polar opposite. Tell me if you've ever felt some of these things. Number one, nobody loves you just as you are. I mean, not just as you are. I mean, you got to earn love. You got to earn your affections. You got to earn your friends. You got to earn it. And if you don't earn it, nobody's just going to love you. Why would anybody just love you? What are you going to do for me? I'll love you if you do something. If you're worth nothing to me, then what's the point of loving you? Why waste my time? I move on to somebody that is worth that love. Nobody loves you. You have to earn it. That's part of the anti-purpose. Number two, nobody forgives you without restitution. I mean, yeah, if you're going to pay back everything for the wrong, then maybe I'll forgive you. But I'm not going to give you forgiveness just undeserved, with, with, just with grace. There's no grace. You've got to earn it back. Number three, nobody accepts you uncontested. Now, you want to be significant? Fine. But I'm going to contest it. I'm going to show it. Why? Because uh, significance in the anti-purpose is a competition. Everybody's comparing and competing with each other for that significance, which is measured in a lot of ways. It could be measured in, in uh, amount of money somebody makes or kind of car somebody drives or how many friends somebody has. You know, significance is never uncontested. Number four, nobody is partnering with you. You're all on your own. You got to make it. If you don't step up and make it, we're just going to move on to the next guy or gal who can. And number five is the true tragedy of humanity. Nobody really knows anything. We're just guesses. It's just ignorance. You've got to figure it out. We live on a planet. 
maybe the universe just spit this thing out and in that you know in this little planet the human beings just kind of crawl out of the ocean and all i mean it, it, if it happens enough times over you know but nobody really knows see the beauty of god is that he destroys each and every one of these anti-purposes god says no no you do know this is all created and I created it and I created you. And there's something you were born to do. I have a purpose for you. No, 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 no. You aren't all on your own. I'm partnering with you. And me and you together is the best you you'll ever be. No, no, no. You are forgiven. And no, there's nothing you can do to pay it back. There's nothing you have to give. There's no backflips. There's no, you, you are forgiven because I chose to forgive you. And took the punishment of that sin on the cross. No, no, no. You are accepted. When I said you were made in my image, I didn't take my image back just because you walked away from me. I accept you. You are significant. And God says, I love you. I love you just the way you are. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to call for it. You don't have to steal it from somebody else. You don't have to put somebody else down. I love you. And that's all that matters. When we allow the purpose we have in Christ to overcome those anti-purposes, we live the life of peace that God has for us. Look at this story from the Apostle Paul. He says this, in beginning in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 16. In verse 11 he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin." Paul said, I didn't just make this up. People didn't just make this up. God gave us this gospel. God gave us this purpose and significance. He says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then Paul explains the anti-purpose, how the anti-purpose kind of got him a little bit. He says this. He says, but you have heard my previous way of life. See, I wasn't always like this. You heard the way I was before when I was living for the anti-purpose, trying to earn and claw my way to the top. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, and I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In verse 15, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him to the Gentiles, that was my purpose. What is Paul saying? Before, I was trying to earn it all. I was trying to, I was trying to advance. I was trying to do less. But God called me, and when I settled into that call, I realized that I didn't have to earn anything in terms of my relationship with God. My significance was simply given by him. My purpose and calling was given by him. At this point of the sermon, many of you are saying, okay, I don't get it. Here's why I'm saying this this morning. 
if 20 years of ministry has shown me anything, it's that we don't get this. We don't get the love of God very well. We're still more his servants than his sons and daughters. We don't understand forgiveness very well. We still serve God so much out of fear that, we, that we've done things wrong and we're trying to make up for it. We don't understand acceptance very much. Very few people do I see tell me, I am significant in Christ. Very few do I see confidence saying that. The anti-purpose has taken over for so many of us, and it's so subtle. Yes, we believe this. We hear it. We believe, yes! But when it comes to actually living it, we have a very hard time doing that because we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's where that foundational verse for all purpose, all clarity, all calling, it comes by faith and not by sight. You may say, well, yeah, I'm no Paul. I mean, Paul had this amazing purpose from God. He was going to go take the gospel to people. He was going to be this great missionary. I guess if I was Paul and I had that call, I would feel like I had some significant purpose. But I'm either a widget maker, a widget buyer, or a widget seller, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of purpose in that. Let me clue you in on the Apostle Paul, the real Apostle Paul. Do you know what the Apostle Paul did for six days a week for most of his life? He sewed tents. Yeah. He had a traveling business. He had canvas or cloth or whatever the material of that day was. He would sew tents, fashion poles, and install them six days a week. He was a tent maker. And that's what he did for money. That's how he bought his food. That's how he paid his bills. That's how he paid for the hotels. That's how he traveled all through Turkey and Greece and, uh, and, and some of the other areas. Paul worked six days a week in a, in a necessary job just like many of you work at least five days a week some of you in a necessary job but one day a week on Sunday Saturdays for Paul he would go in and all of a sudden Paul the missionary would be able to start teaching people and praying for people and seeing people healed and encouraging people he was a pastor. He was a missionary. Once he was a courier for money. His whole job was he was taking a collection to help people in Israel because there was a famine there. Paul had many different things that he did. And much of it, believe it or not, parallels a lot of the same stuff that we had to go through. But very, something very interesting happened toward the latter end of Paul's life. He got thrown in jail. Now this is kind of interesting. You think, okay, Paul's called by God. He's got this great ministry. He's got this great message. God, I don't understand. Why would you let a dude like that get thrown in jail? You'd think that's the guy you want to keep out of jail because as he's out of jail, he's able to preach. He's able to do all this stuff. Remember Paul's calling. It wasn't just to preach in synagogues on Saturdays. It was to take the message to the Gentiles. Gentiles. When Paul got arrested, even that was a part of the purpose and calling that God had on his life. Because that arrest had the Roman Empire, and not Paul, pay for his passage to go all the way to Rome and take the gospel of Jesus to the Roman officials.
and they began to see it begin to spread in Italy. This is Philippians chapter 1, 12 and 14. Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now here's the thing. When bad things happen, we often go, oh. When conflict and resistance comes into our life, we begin to scratch our head go, man, what am I doing wrong? But Paul He saw it uniquely interpreted as he was focused on living out what God had for him. Whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was beaten, whether he was poor, whether he was rich, whether he was in jail, whether he was free, whether he was a Jewish boy or a Roman citizen, in all things and in all contexts. Because Paul never lost sight of the the ministry that God had given him even in the bad things that happened in life, Paul could see how God used them for a higher good, for God's glory and for God's kingdom. And so before we go here this morning, I want to leave you with four things. If you flip your sheet over, uh, we'll go through these real quick and you can write them in. And the first thing is this. Every member, every member of LifePoint Church, every, every person who becomes a follower of Jesus and joins the church of Jesus Christ is a minister. Each one of you, you've got a ministry. Each one of you, there's something you've been born to do. Maybe it's to serve with the kids. Maybe it's to serve at Church Without Walls in the outreach church. Maybe it's to serve at Juvenile Hall. Maybe it's to serve in the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the worship ministry. Or maybe your ministry will have nothing to do with the organized church and you just come here to get encouraged, but you've got people at your job, people in your family, that you are the only Bible they're ever going to read and you're going to be the love of God to them, the forgiveness of God to them, the acceptance of God to them, the partnership with God to them, and the information that so many confused people in our world are seeking. Every member is a minister. And my question for you is this, what is the specific story that God wants to speak through your life? When you ask Edward Kimball what his specific story was, he died thinking, you know what, no big story here. I lived in Massachusetts, I sold carpet, I fed my body, I raised my kids, I paid my rent, and I died. That's what he probably thought. Not realizing a hundred years later, the seed of what he laid would be responsible for millions of people being able to hear the encouraging gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody here, and we're going to be going through this over the next two months, everybody here has a place And I'd like you to begin to really think and pray and find that place. Because once you do, you will know a peace like you've never known. Number two, any purpose outside of God will wear you down and freak you out. Any purpose outside of God will wear you down and freak you out. And I say it like this because... After 20 years of ministry, I've had a lot of opportunities, more in the beginning than lately, but they were a lot there, to go and pray in the hospitals with people. Now, sometimes I get a phone call like this. 
someone from the church call up and say, Pastor Tom, uh, we've got an uncle or an aunt or a grandfather, and they're in the hospital, and they don't believe in God, but the family wants you to go there and talk to them and see if you can convince them because we're really worried about them, and we're worried about what might happen if he dies like that. I said, well, okay, I'd be happy to go do that. And, of course, knowing that I have the family's blessing, a lot of time I'll come in and they'll be like, preacher, get out. You know, I mean, I've had that before where, you know, they, they just flat out don't want to have a conversation. But the beauty of the situation is this. They're in a hospital bed and they can't move. I'm a strapping young 40-something man. <laughs> no. And I, so I, to some degree, I have a little bit of the power in that situation. And I'll often say, you know what, your, your family has asked me to come here and, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation. You know, I didn't, I didn't drive all this way for nothing. I, I gas money, everything else, my time. So I'm going to be here. Just please hear five, five minutes of my spiel and I'll leave if you don't want to talk. Almost always after that moment, they want to talk. And here is the one common thing I have found with every older man or woman in that situation that's in a hospital and they're on their deathbed. They're exhausted and they're scared. They're exhausted and they're scared. Life has worn them out. Their marriage has worn them out. Their kids have worn them out. Their jobs have worn them out. Their battle with whatever illness that put them in the hospital has worn them out. Their confusion over why they're here and what they're supposed to do has worn them out. They never came up with an answer. And they're scared. They don't know why. They're just scared. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's beyond the other side. They don't know what they should believe. They don't know who's right. They don't know who's wrong. They don't know up from down. And often that fear triggers anger and violence. And they get like this with me in the hospital. <laughs> Why are you so mad? I'm not mad. Why are you mad? I'm not saying anything, you know? And I can tell it's the anxiety underneath that produces that temper tantrum because they're tired, confused, and scared. One time, a long time ago, I was in a hospital with a man, Northgate Hospital. It wasn't a very good hospital. But I was training to be a Stevens minister, which I never did finish. But you had to go to the hospital. And this guy, I was asked to speak with this guy. He, he didn't believe in God, and he wasn't going to believe in God. That was fine. After a while, you know, you just kind of talk to the person. You just want to, you know, learn about them a little bit. And he, he did something called he coded. Anybody heard that word? He coded. All of a sudden, his eyes went big, and all the machines start going off. I really don't, t I wish I'd have known more about medical stuff then. I know only a little more now. <laughs> and, but I, I just remember he grabbed my arm and he looked at me as if the Titanic was sinking and he wanted me to pull him up out of the water. I'll just, it, 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 I wasn't prepared for that. I, it, it disturbs me to this day when I think about this experience. I'd never had a man grab my arm like this. And my dad's strong. He's grabbed my arm and whooped me some. It was stronger than this. The way he grabbed my arm. This is a man who didn't want me to come into the room at first. And all of a sudden he grabbed my arm. He couldn't say anything. There was just fear in his eyes. 
And then I had to leave because all the, all the nurses and doctors come in and they shoo you out. But I, I, just, I just, it stuck with me. Any purpose outside of God and life eventually wears you down, fills you with confusion, and freaks you out. There's just all this fear. Now, I've been called other times when they, oh, grandma's in the hospital or grandpa's in the hospital, Uncle Joey's in the hospital, and oh, he, uh, he's been following God all his life, and he's this great guy, da-da-da. And I go in, and he's like, hey, pastor, how you doing? I want you to pray that I die tonight. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm ready to go. I know where I'm going. I mean, he's just happy. I got the family going, yeah, we want him to live. Can you talk him out of this? Because he's like ready to die tonight. We don't want him to die. And so tell him you got to talk him. Tell him, pray for his healing. Pray for his, you know, and there's also often this tug of war. Where he's like, I'm ready to go. I've lived a good long life this body's done with. And, and the family doesn't want to. And I love those situations. Because of that purpose in Christ. He wasn't tired. I mean, maybe the illness was tiring him. He wasn't scared. He wasn't confused. When that man grabbed my arm and looked at me in fear, I remember walking out of the room, and I went going home. I had to talk to Dan. I had to, t- I had to tell everybody about this. And I told my pastor, I said, man, I don't ever want to die like that. I don't ever want to die like that. With regret having lived a life of no purpose. I don't, I just, I said, man, whatever I got to do, I almost thought about signing up for the army right then and there. I mean, it was just, it was a freak out moment for me, you know? Because you had to see the look in his eyes. The, the eyes say more than anything, than, much more than the mouth does. And here I am, like 22 years old, and I'm, what do I know? Freaked out. I never forgot that. Any purpose outside of God will wear you down, freak you out. Number three, come, take, and learn from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these words. I hope they are comfort to you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, we hear this passage and we think, well, it's because I'm stressed or because life's hard or because I got the devil on my back or because of my wife or my husband or all these things. Actually, I don't think that passage has anything to do with that. I think what Jesus is saying is the reason you are so stressed out, tired, and scared is because you got the wrong yoke on you. You got the wrong burdens on your back. You're trying to be somebody you're not. You're trying to live a purpose I've not called you to live. You're trying to do things that are not the direction I was taking your life. And it's leaving you stressed out, tired, angry, addicted, anxious, and all these other things. Jesus says, leave all those other things. Come to me and I will give you rest. That doesn't mean you're going to sit down and lay in a hammock on a beach for the rest of your life. That's not the rest that Jesus is talking about. It's this rest. It's the rest that even though you wake up every day and you work hard, you go home with the joy of purpose. 
blessings of significance. Ask yourself right now, am I tired? Am I grumpy? Am I angry? Am I worried? Am I anxious? Maybe you've got the world's yoke on you, and that's not the yoke God has for you. Maybe you're supposed to throw that yoke off and put on the yoke that God has for you. And even if the work is hard, it will seem like the lightest burden as it is filled with his powerful peace. And my last point is this. Let your why be bigger than you. Your job is your what. What you do every day is often your what. But what's the why? Why are you you? Why are you here? Why are we doing what are we doing? Why do we have the? Let your why be bigger than you. When I first came to uh, Tacoma, there was a worship leader there, and I love this worship leader because he was a piano player. He was a great piano player. He was an old gospel player, and he was older. He was, then he was in his late 60s, and, and some of his technique was starting to go because he had horrific arthritis in his knuckles, and because of the pain, he was mad all the time. So we'd get up there for worship team, and he'd just start barking at us, and Man, why is Frank so, I mean, we just, we were just really struggling. He was a great piano player and all that, but I mean, we were just like, something is off with this guy. Finally, one day he walked in the staff meeting and he said, you know what? I quit. I retire. I'm moving down to Arizona. I am going to sit by a pool. I am going to eat, breathe, and my heart is going to beat, and I am going to wait to die, and it's going to be wonderful. And I remember when he said it, Oh, I can't wait till I can do that. You know, I mean, it was a part of me. I was like, that's awesome, dude. I can't wait till I can come in, quit my job, and just go and sit in a warm desert by a hot pool and just die somewhere. Well, so so we helped him move, actually. And he was gone. And somebody new came in. I can't remember who. But a few years later, we were at a, a, a district thing. And I see him. I'm like, oh my goodness, dude, you came up to this little old meeting? It was just a little local meeting. I said, you came up for this little old meeting from Arizona? That's a little far to come for this, for this little luncheon. <laughs> he just kind of laughed. He said, no, 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 I live in Tacoma again. I'm like, no, my hero just fell. You know, I'm like, no, no, you're supposed to be in Arizona. You're supposed to be sipping juice and you're supposed to you know i mean like and i I looked i'm like dude what are you doing in tacoma nobody wants to move in tacoma nobody wants to live in tacoma you know maybe seattle but not tacoma and so so and he looked at me said oh yeah he said well i went i went with the church plant church plant yeah in downtown tacoma four square church plant i said really he said yeah he said i went down and it lasted a couple years, and I came back up, and now I'm with the church plan. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You're, why did you do that? I, he's telling me the whole story, and I said, well, he finally looked at me and said, Tom, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. 
And so some of you who are in your 60s or 70s and you're pushing your retirement, you're thinking, I bet you Tom crafted this story just for us. <laughs> you bet I did. But it's not just so I can keep you here. I want you to hear the wisdom of this. He went down. He sat for about two years. Didn't have peace. You can only sit and wait to die for so long until God says, I'm not taking you yet. You have still more to do here. <laughs> and so he went from paradise back to the cold mud hole called Tacoma. And he said, Tom, it's great. I'm mentoring three young men right now. I'm mentoring a worship leader. Man, we got maybe 40 or 50 people on a Sunday in that downtown area. It's rough, it's tough, it's hard, and I love it, and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And you could see, you could not take that piece. You could not buy that piece. You could not steal that piece. You could not fake that piece. 72 years old, arthritic hands. I don't even think he could straighten his fingers out anymore. Man, he could still play like the boss. He looked and he said, Tom, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Before we close this morning, I want to ask if you'd be open to let the Holy Spirit work in your heart for a moment. There's two ways to live life. My way, my plans, my desires, my kingdom, my will. That's one way. And I suppose it's not a bad way. It's just not the best way. And never let good get in the way of best. The best way is God's will, God's kingdom, God's call, God's plan for my life. And I'm not saying that he's calling you to quit your job. For many, if not all of you, that's not what I'm saying this morning. I'm saying, I think God's saying, let your why be, be bigger than your what. Your jobs pay the bills, feed the body, put a roof over your head. That's great. Thank God that you got that. Now let's get going with the why. There are young boys and girls, they need to know the love of God. There are teenagers that need to understand wisdom in life. There are people on the streets of Bakersfield that need to know they're still, they're still in the image of God. And that alone is their significance. It's things in the church we can't do because there's nobody to do them. Maybe that's the why that God has for you this year. So take a moment right now and just open your heart to God and say, God, give me the easy yoke, the light burden, and help my why to be you. Let me put down the good 
so that I can pick up the best. with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. There is no purpose in God that does not begin with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now for some of us, there may not actually be a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's simply a religion. It's a ritual. It's motions we go through in the hopes that if there is a God, he'll see that we did all this stuff. And again, that's the anti-purpose. That's trying to earn it. Relationship is bowing our knee and surrendering our heart and saying, God, I need you and I need it to be freely given. If you say, you know what? I want to begin my purpose today by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. By dying in Christ. Dying in peace, without fear, without confusion. And having God be my God and Jesus be my Lord. If that's what you'd like to do, just go ahead and raise your hand. Just signify that right now. Amen. 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 Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your acceptance. Thank you for partnering with me. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your spirit and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.